so uh, Justice for All is the, the name we've given to this. So the first week, we basically had one thing to say and one thing only, and that is all justice issues come down to a singular, a singular thought or a singular uh, commitment, and that is to give God what He is due. If, you, if we all gave God what He is due, the one true God, we would have no justice issues to speak of anywhere, anywhere of any kind. So the first uh, primary principle, fundamental um, shift in our heart has to be that justice begins and ends with giving God what is due to Him, that we should have no other God before Him. The example we used was the Aztec world and the Spanish world and Hernan Cortes coming in and destroying the Aztec empire. The Aztecs were uh, pagans and idol worshipers, uh, sacrificing humans and children. And then the Spanish were coming in with a lust and thirst for power, money, uh, gold, uh, expansion, all the things that they Both were worshiping a God other than the one true God, which caused, at the heart, uh, all the injustices between them. That's just a fundamental truth. If you and I are going to be just people, we need to first consider and, and commit to giving God what is due to Him, which is there are no other gods before Him, which means you've got to get rid of, and this is what God is doing in your life, all of your items. This is what He's doing. The pain that you experience, the difficulty you experience, the longing that you experience, all the sadness that you experience is the one true God taking you away from your idols and bringing you Himself as the one true delight that you should have, as the one true source of all delight. That's really what's happening to you, and to me, frankly. Um, so we picked up, um, we started with that one thought of giving God what it was due to Him. Today, our focus is justice and community. Justice and community. Uh, there are two paradigms that you and I have to wrestle through all the time. The first one is that we are individuals, and we have individual responsibilities. And in fact, I cannot believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ for anybody else on planet Earth but myself. If I could do it, I would believe for all of you. I would believe for my children. I would believe for their, their children. But I can't. I can only believe for me. And you can only believe for yourself. There's an individual aspect of what it means to know God and to trust Him. But if you stop there, you are missing a significant, huge portion of Scripture, which is that God saves us as individuals to make us part of a grand and glorious community, right? How do we know this? Well, when we, and I say this um, on the side to folks on a regular basis, when we start a worship service, um, we have the call to worship and then the invocation. And the invocation almost always starts with a prayer that is in a one particular formula. Do you know what it is? What's that formula that usually starts the invocation? It's a simple formula simple address to who God is. We say, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Almost every time. I can promise you this, if I'm helping to lead worship almost every time, the invocation is going to be Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It is the first reminder to you that God is one and that He is a community. He is, he is a community before you were ever thought, uh, the world ever began. Um, I almost jumped into heresy. Um, before you were ever existing, God was a divine, blessed community, needed nothing, and decided to bring a people into that community to receive that blessing, right? So justice and community has some really far-reaching implications, and it's really part of what we're struggling with as a culture, as a, as a society, right? 
So today we're going to focus on just justice and community, give you a couple of examples of um, uh, what I'm talking about, and then they're adding, we're adding three questions. Remember, there are a total of 12 questions that Thaddeus Williams says, if you're going to be a, a justice warrior, then you need to ask yourself these 12 questions and make sure that your view of justice aligns with the biblical view of justice, because not all views do. Not all that you hear in our culture about the demand for justice is true justice. It's not. It's just not. I've avoided what Thaddeus Williams uses at the two categories. His two categories are social justice A and social justice B. And the reason why I've not followed that plan in the book is because uh, the PCA already has a controversy about side A and side B, and I don't want to confuse the two. Right? We already have a pretty significant controversy that, uh, thank the Lord, is being resolved uh, in our courts. And as a result, it'll be stronger, our, our denomination will be stronger, our, our unity will be stronger. But uh, I didn't want to confuse the two. So we're really talking about social justice and biblical justice. That's really the way to do it. So we're going to start with uh, why we took up this topic. I'm just going to leave that up there for a second. These were the three reasons we said this topic is so important. We're only going to spend a few weeks on it, but it's super important. I uh, can't think of anything more important as far as the culture and what's being talked about and uh, uh, bandered about and, and discussed and debated and bashed each other and Twitter and all that kind of stuff. This is the topic. Um, what is justice? What is, what is due to people? What is due to God is, is our concern and what's due to people. Uh, so these are the reasons why we said the topic's important. We said that we were talking about justice and worship. That was the first week today, justice and community. Then we'll uh, shift over to justice and salvation, justice and knowledge. Um, we have these declarations at the start, which is the Bible commands us to do justice. Uh, you can't avoid that. Um, as controversial as a topic is, you can't avoid it. Baptism is a, is a controversial topic, but you should not avoid it. Um, the Lord's Supper is, is the most controversial topic in the church, and we don't avoid that. Week after week, we don't. In fact, my cup from the, the communion is in here. I stuck my finger in it. It's not good. Um, I'll have to throw that away in just a few minutes. Uh, not all things that are called justice are true expressions of justice. No rational person is anti-justice. All would generally claim that justice is an important issue, and no one is neutral on it. No one. So in Justice and Community, the title of this section is Unity or Uproar, and the focus passage that Thaddeus uses is Ephesians 2, 13 and 14. And if you're familiar with it, it is how God has done a work through the gospel of bringing together the two parts of the known world as far as the Bible categorizes them, Jew and Gentile. That in Christ, Jew and Gentile have been made one. That in Christ, there is a unity that exists that didn't exist before. That in Christ is the only source for real reconciliation and justice. In Christ. That's the only place you're going to find it. Although many other things are offered as substitutes for that reconciliation, it only comes through faith in Christ. Um, it's such an important topic that if, you, if you've been watching TV, you know that this Camp Lejeune discussion has been going on for some time, right? Almost every other commercial is about Camp Lejeune. It tells you a couple of things. Uh, one, of the, one of the things that it tells you, Nick, is you can get money. <laughs> As a lawyer, you can get money. Um, a lawyer can get money, and people who've ever been connected to Camp Lejeune can get money. So I'm a military brat. I grew up in a Navy household, and uh, traveled to all the Navy bases that um, I experienced as a kid and uh, didn't ever end up at Lejeune. I'm primarily Marine, but um, Navy and Marine are, are combined. But um, anybody who's ever been connected to that can be thinking, 
I could be getting some money, some justice. It's actually called the Camp Lejeune Justice Act. That's what the name of the law is, that people who were affected negatively can receive some compensation, literally uh, dollars uh, compensation. Other um, sources of this community justice, um, I just picked out a letter from a Birmingham jail, which you ought to read once a year. Kind of ought to. Probably should. Just a suggestion. Here's a, a, a passage from it, a statement from it. Um, this is on our fridge. Injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. We are caught in an inescapable network of mutuality, tied in a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. Never again can we afford to live with the narrow, provincial, outside agitator idea. Anyone who lives inside the United States can never be considered an outsider anywhere within its bounds. Basically, we're connected. Um, as, as much as we want to feel like there's not a connection uh, to the rest of the community or people, or particularly parts of community that we don't agree with, we are still connected in many ways societally. Um, the good of one affects the good of the others, and we should have some interest in that as believers. Um, so question four is the collective question. And here is, um, Thaddeus is giving us 12 questions to answer the question of you. If, if your view of justice does not address this, then you probably have a problem with your view of justice. And this is, we did the first three in the first week. This is the first one for the three this week. Does your view or does our view or vision of justice take any group identity more seriously than our identities in Adam or in Christ? If your view of justice takes any other identity more importantly than our identity in Adam or in Christ, then your view of justice is flawed. It's flawed. And Thaddeus makes a phenomenally good argument on why, if you do not consider those two identities as the supreme identity over others, how about that? Then your view of justice is flawed. Um, just reading of that question, what, what do you think he's getting at as far as other what do you think he's getting at? That some people use race as a way to identify themselves, and he's saying if that is superior to your view of being in Adam or in Christ, then your view of justice is flawed. What else? Sexual identity. If, that's, if, if that sliver of your life, I, I wish I had the teenagers. If that sliver of your life is going to be the most dominant theme of how you Present yourselves to other people over being in Adam or in Christ, your view of justice is completely flawed. It's just completely flawed. Any other identity markers that you think he's getting at? Say again? Party, uh, political party, if, if your identity as one or the other is more important to you, more important to you, than being in Adam or in Christ, you're missing something. Pretty big. If your view as a particular nationality is more important to you than being in Adam or in Christ, and that's the your key identifier is your nationality, as you think about the world that God has created, your view of justice is probably flawed. Actually, he's arguing that it is flawed. If, you're, 
if your sports team, uh, as my daughter would say, if your sports ball team, if your sports ball team has that kind of influence, um, it was probably a pretty rough day for most of the folks. <laughs> if, that, if that really threw you into a tizzy when your weekend, um, we should talk, number one. Number two, if your identity is that connected, more important than in Adam or in Christ, you've got issues, right? I say that jokingly because I'm hoping most of us are like, yes, that's my team. There's no way they're going to win every time, every week, every year. There's no way. There's just no way on planet Earth, right? Uh, so this is the first question, the collective question, and he has some things to say about what it means to be in Adam or in Christ. So let's take a look at those. Uh, Paul has some, some unifying truths about sin and grace. Sin and grace. So in Adam, what we're really saying is because of our identity in Adam, which is all human beings, we are all sinners. And for those in Christ, there is a theme of grace that overwhelms all other things, right? Of being in Jesus. And Paul says some things about that that um, should reset our view of, of justice, uh, biblical, social, whatever. Uh, it should reset our view of justice. There are a couple things that um, I've kind of marked out that Thaddeus says. Um, he he gives this example of Time Magazine doing a survey of the worst things of the 20th century. What's the worst thing that ever happened? And there were some things that are like just silly, like um, cheese in a can that you spray out. Really bad idea, is what he says. And things like the Holocaust. Those, it's that kind of silly list. But he comes back and says, probably the most damning, damaging thing uh, of not just the 20th century, but probably of our, of our existence, is the push and the the move towards tribalism. Tribalism. That um, tribalism has as an outcome some pretty violent and negative outcomes. Um, and some of that we're guilty of. Some of that we're guilty of at heart. And it's... Sounds, um, and there are some really bad examples in, in the 20th century, right? We are Nazis. We are good. You are Jews. You are bad. We are Hutus. We are good. You are Tutsi. You are bad. Right? We are X. We are good. You are this. You are bad. That kind of, of categorization leads to a lot of pretty negative outcomes, a lot of uh, violence in the 20th century. It hadn't stopped in the 21st, but some pretty violent and nasty outcomes. And yet, it still is a pretty powerful force, tribalism. Uh, in fact, one of the things he quotes, one of the stats he quotes from a Harvard researcher is that the minute you join a group, any group, just, just name a group, or just think of a group, the minute you join a group, statistically, your life expectancy grows. Because fundamentally, you have been designed, I have been designed for what? For community in some way, shape, or form. Now, don't, um, uh, don't mistake club for community. Club, you have one thing in common. Community, you have many, many things that you're trying to hold in common, right? So the church is a community. There are many, many things we're trying to hold in common. Many, many things we're trying to celebrate in common. Right? We are we're defenders of, of marriage. We're defenders of parenting. We're defenders of, of biblical truth. We're trying to hold those things in common. 
We're not a chess club where we've got that one thing that we like to play chess. It's not that. Um, but fundamentally, people want to be a part of something. And you know this. You experience, I experience this. I want to be part of something else. Um, if you wonder, how do gangs proliferate? I just answered the question for you. How do, how do negative and horrible um, policies get perpetuated? Because the group I want to belong to has that policy, has that, has that thought. And so um, Thaddeus says there are some, some fundamental things that because our identity in Adam and in Christ should be greater than any other identity marker that you have, uh, there's, some, there's some impact that comes as a result of that. Uh, so... Here's how he says it in, in the book. Just listen to this. Um, that groups, tribal groups that um, identify themselves are typically identifying themselves as which is crazy because most of the time those tribes are being identified by a particular view or a particular status, which only a certain segment of the population can have anyway. And so it can't be radically inclusive if it's got those status symbols or those... Um, uh, phenotypical, um, sorry, um, if, if you look the same way as the way to measure each other. If that's the way you're going to measure your group, your tribe, is your outward appearance and look, then, then you're not really inclusive. You can't be, by definition. So you automatically set up differences that um, might actually be fairly um, innocent uh, but over the years, I have proven to be pretty radically bad. Um, he says the, the fact that you and I have the same identity in Christ is extraordinarily important for all of the groups. So this morning, one of the elements of our worship was that we stopped for a moment and we said, let us confess our sins together. Um, you're called to do that individually week after week. Day after day, moment by moment. But we set aside a portion of our worship service where we can confess our sins together, right? And this is a common confession of sin that Thaddeus even uh, includes in his book. We confess that we have sinned against you by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We've not loved you with our whole heart. We've not loved our neighbors as ourselves. Um, I've shared this with some of you. I, I come in... Um, right before the worship starts, and I'll sit, and I'll look through the, the worship folder, and the one thing I always go to is the confession of sin. I always go to that, and I just look at it and read it, and I, I do it because I want to make sure when I say it, I'm 100% bought in. I, I always know that that confession of sin is going to uh, indict me. I always, you do too. You know it too. But I want to make sure that I'm reflecting on the fact that this is me. It really is who I am apart from Jesus, right? And it really is the common denominator for all groups, for all tribes, for every single gang or civic group or club. The one thing that is true of all of us is that we're sinners. And that identity in Adam should be one of the driving forces behind how do we understand and evaluate justice because if you begin to use those group identities as the way to start assigning blame and guilt, 
This is the danger, right? That we start using the group identities to assign blame and guilt to other people. Not me. And Thaddeus points out that um, biblically, your identity as in Adam is the common denominator that basically says you're all guilty. You, you know what this is like. The, the, I mentioned a couple of weeks ago the, um, the author of Black Liberation Theology is James Cone. And, and here's a passage that he wrote about a completely twisted understanding of who's guilty. Of who's guilty. Look what it says. When whites undergo the true experience of conversion, just hear the language. When whites undergo the true experience of conversion, wherein they die to whiteness and are reborn anew in order to struggle against white oppression and for the liberation of the oppressed, there is a place for them in the black struggle of freedom. Here, reconciliation becomes God's gift of blackness through the oppressed of the land. But it must be absolutely clear that it is the black community that decides both the authenticity of white conversion and also the part these converts will play in the black struggle for freedom. Did you catch what happened there? James Cone basically says, my identity as a black man becomes the most important identity over my identity in Adam, where I am guilty too, James Cone. Where I am also guilty. I may not be guilty of the same things you're guilty of, but I'm guilty and deserving of death and deserving of hell. He redefines even conversion. He redefines reconciliation. He redefines what the reconciliation is unto, which is why so much debate is is raging, even in our denomination, over what are our steps to take. Because all the words are being redefined, and I need to know what you mean when you say reconciliation. I need to know what you mean when you say conversion. Because James Cone very popular um, uh, black liberation author, is basically saying your conversion is out of your whiteness. Which is a misunderstanding of being in Adam where all people, regardless of background, race, oppressor, oppressed, are all guilty. Are all guilty. Right? So here's how important that is. Uh, The Aztecs who are uh, performing human sacrifices are guilty. And the Spanish who were coming in to re, uh, gain land and power and, and gold were all guilty. They were guilty because they're in Adam. And you and I have the same DNA in that sense. You can even sit back and think, those Aztecs, what a bunch of butchers. What a bunch of de- decrepit, awful... I'm so glad I am not Aztecs. That's kind of how we think. And the Bible will cause you to pause and say, you're in Adam too. And you are guilty. Um, we could spend a ton of time here. We're not going to. But that, that's, that is a fundamental point of if your identity is anything superior to being in Adam or in Christ, you have a fundamental flaw in your thinking on justice. Because you don't get to decide who's guilty. God does. And he's already said who's guilty, all of you. And all deserving of hell. All deserving of the same thing, right? His work of redemption and and gospel work is the only hope of real reconciliation, not just between races, but between any group 
or ethnicity or uh, interest. But here's Paul's unifying truths that I think are pretty important. Um, that sin is not an oppressor's problem, but a human problem. That I'm not a sinner because I'm an oppressor, I'm a sinner because I'm a human. And the whole discussion about oppressed and oppressor really needs to come back to, are you human? Then you're guilty. Regardless of what your background or your practices have been, or your genealogy or your, your ancestors. Regardless, if you're human, that's your issue. That's the biblical approach. Number two, that being in, it's Romans 3.10, by the way, that no one is good. No one seeks God. No one has any moral high ground. No one's experience of difficulty and suffering rises above your experience. No one is good. No one. Uh, Being in Jesus is a new identity that transcends all the others. Galatians 3, 26 through 29 are basically that, uh, that passage that you're familiar with, but you should hear it fresh and new with this identity discussion in mind. That in Christ there is no what? Jew, Gentile. No male, female. No slave or free, right? <clears throat> in Christ, all of those identities are consumed by being in Him. And so now your, your um, categories of who's oppressing who and who's, who's judging who, who's guilty and who's not, go away. They have to. They have to in Christ. Because in Adam you're all guilty. What Jesus does is um, make that, make his identity the most important. Period. Period. And then finally, God alone grants the not guilty verdict on the basis of faith in Christ. Um, as much as I appreciate others who want to condemn me I really do appreciate you the only one who can actually condemn me and knows my heart is God and the only one who can tell me I'm not guilty really really where my conscience is clear is God himself I really appreciate my brothers and sisters saying you're a good guy but the only one who can actually speak to me through his word by his spirit and remind me that in Christ I am not guilty. It's God himself. That was Luther, right, standing on the floor of the Diet of Worms with the church on one side ready to excommunicate him and, and bring the hammer and the government who was working with the church ready to execute him. And he says, I can't go against my conscience. There's nothing else I can do. God have mercy on me. Here I stand, right? A lot of eyes in that but he's also you know, going back to, this is who I am in Jesus. And what it means for me to be in Jesus. Let, the, let whatever's going to happen, happen. Right? And Paul uses these unifying truths in Ephesians chapter 2 to bridge the biggest gap, really biblically, which is between the people of God and the, that uh, are referred to as the chosen people, which I am sure, I am sure in the Twitter back then, was going back and they think they're the chosen people. They think they're so special. They think they're... Um, and he bridges that gap between Jew and Gentile world, which is everybody else, and says, in Christ, there's real unity. In Christ, you are one. In Christ, the dividing walls are broken down. Which is why your identity really needs to be focused on, I'm in Adam as a sinner, and if you believe you are in Christ as a redeemed person, and all justice can flow, from that.
if you're flowing from any other uh, fount or stream, it's, it's polluted, it's, uh, it's twisted, it's bitter. It can't, be, it can't be biblical justice because God does not separate based on those things. We're all guilty and only Jesus can forgive. Make sense? So that was the, the fourth question that Thaddeus asks about biblical and social justice that you need to think about to recalibrate. Here's question five, which is the splintering question. Does our vision of justice embrace divisive propaganda? If your vision of justice um, takes in uh, divisive propaganda information that needs to be um, examined, challenged, if, if it's based on that stuff, then you've got an issue with justice. You've got an issue with justice. Let me give you a, a couple of examples that he uses um, in, in the uh, examples of um, divisive propaganda. That basically, that um, if, if you're paying attention to this topic at all, you know that there is a desire amongst all groups to revise history. There's a desire amongst all groups to revise history to make you look better or make the other group look worse or assign more guilt to one person and less guilt to the other group, right? Um, There's a lot of kind of rancidness to that. The topic of slavery, for example, I'm not just trying to blow things up, I'm not. But the topic of slavery, if you're not also um, uh, U.S.-based, American slavery, horrific, terrible, yes. Um, Originally captured in our founding document, yes. needed to be changed, yes. Was changed, yes. You don't have many examples on planet Earth where that whole um, set of steps I just walked through have taken place. One of the only places on planet Earth where it's happened. One of the only places on planet Earth where it's happened. That's not saying that wipes out all the bad stuff. I'm not saying that wipes out all the difficult. I'm just saying it's a fact. And if you want to really uh, do a... uh, understanding of slavery, uh, there's more, there are more slaves on planet Earth today than there have ever been. I'll say that again. There are more slaves on planet Earth today than there have ever been in human history. Because there are kinds of slavery that are going on right now in places where we don't talk about it very much. We benefit from it in some ways, in some negative ways. <clears throat> but we should. We should talk about it. Uh, the slavery that's going on in China right now and India and other places. Um, so I mentioned Gary Hogan the first week. He's the founder of International Justice Mission. Part of their mission is to bring to light these examples of slavery all over planet Earth and, and let's, bring some, let's bring some light to it and some heat and stop it if we can. Can we use governmental influence? Can we use... Most, most of these countries already have some laws against that kind of slavery. Can we just help them use their own law? That's literally what they're doing here and around the world when they're talking about international justice. Right? <clears throat> so, in that case, the, 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 the idea and the attempt to revise history to make it look better or worse for somebody or others um, is pretty bad. Uh, it's, a, it's, a hin- it's a hindrance to real justice. Uh, listen to what he says. <clears throat> Once history has been edited in the most condemning way possible for certain groups, propaganda ensures that individual members of that group can be judged on the basis of that group identity regardless of how they live their lives. An example for 
for our group would be um, a true statement of my family has never owned any other human being. And it may be true of you. And to say, because you look like somebody and people, you're guilty. And we other groups. <clears throat> if we don't like their stance or position, um, rather than trying to figure out what else they may hold to or not hold to, we just figure if you're in that, if you have that one, everything else is, it, it might as well just rule it out. You're part of that group. You're them. Us good, you bad. Us good, you bad. That's tribalism. And that's tribalism. Um, there is a phenomenal little table, page 57 in the book, if you're reading it, where there are statements made by the leader of the Hutu movement and uh, statements that are made. And if you just take out the, the, the word Hutu and put in any other category you want, it's fairly rancid stuff. That if, if this is you, you bad. Us Um, it is the temptation to try to blame all of life's troubles on the bad group. Uh, we we are we are um, we're fighting that in our culture right now. Blame all of life's troubles on the bad group, whichever that group might be. Whatever those those problems and difficulties are, blame it on the bad group. Make the bad group the in the most negative light. Um, and even if they're not really part of that bad group, they look like they're part of that bad group, so make them part of that group. Um, it's interesting. There's a, um, another author that's quoted by Thaddeus Williams on um, the struggle between um, white-black issues in the States. And um, this author is a female, who, African-American, who's, who um, has thoughts of killing um, white people on a regular basis. And it's just talking about those thoughts, of just killing white people. Which, don't make any mistake, there are white people that have thoughts about killing black people all day long. Um, here's what she's, um, that Thaddeus says. This leads to the fourth and final point we can draw from Hook's killing rage, which is what she refers to it as the killing rage. Nowhere in her essay does she turn from criticizing the assumed motives of those who are around her to question her own heart. There's no sense that fantasizing about stabbing or shooting an anonymous white man might expose a problem, dare I say sin, in her own heart. If the all-pervasive problem is white patriarchal oppression, then what incentive would Hooks have, that's who she is, would have to search her heart or confess any evil there? In other words, if all we're going to do is continue to promote divisive propaganda, what our hearts typically do with that is apply that to anybody that we don't like and begin to, um, in our tribalism, uh, come up with ways that we can we can conquer. Or to figure out another way to say some of the rancid things that are being said. That we can just wipe them out. It's happening politically. It was happening last night in political speeches being given about upcoming elections on Tuesday. That what we're, what's really at stake is they want to wipe you out. That's kind of coming from both sides. They just want to wipe you out. That kind of divisive propaganda doesn't get us very far. And frankly, it's not, a, uh, a, it's not what the, the Christian motivation is for engaging is fear and repelling a view, this monolithic view to people that we don't like. So that was question number five, the splintering question. Does your version of, or vision of justice 
embrace divisive propaganda? If so, you've got a problem with your vision of justice. Um, here's the, here are the example we use. We are Aryan, we are good, they are Jewish, they are bad. Uh, in India, it's we are Brahmin, we are good, you are Dalits, you are bad. Uh, and by the way, you can, you can only be bad. You can never be anything but bad. Even in, in the reincarnation that is part of their, their system, um, if you're a Dalit, you're done. You're toast. Uh, we are Hutu, we are good, you are Tutsi, you are bad, we are white, we are good, you are black, you are bad, or vice versa. We're black, we're good, you're white, you're bad. We're Islamic State, we're good, you're infidels, which is all they got to say. You're an infidel. That is, that is the thinking. That is the tribe. Is, I'm Islamic State. You're the infidel. That's it. Question number six, and then we'll wrap up. Does our vision of justice replace love, peace, and patience, um, which you should recognize as fruits of the Spirit, with suspicion, division, and rage? This is a, a corollary to the first one, or the second one, which was, um, have, you, have you bought into some divisive propaganda on tribalism. Um, and does that then lead you to a vision of justice that changes love, peace, and patience with suspicion, division, and rage? And he gives two examples if, in this chapter, and then I want to ask some questions of you and let's talk. So the two examples are Corey Ten Boom, who after the Holocaust, after she got out of a concentration camp, after the Nuremberg trials, after sentences were passed, she meets up with a guard from her own concentration camp, where her sister was too. Her sister did not survive. That guard comes to her after his prison term gets up, finds her at this place where she's speaking, meets her afterwards and says, I need you to forgive me. Put your hand up. And Corey Ten Boom says, I couldn't. I just couldn't. I couldn't. My sister's dead. This guy was there. I know him. I can't. He says, in prison I became a Christian, a follower of Jesus. I know what I've been forgiven. Will you forgive me? She still can't. She still can't move her hand, is what she describes. And after what feels like a very long time, she says, Jesus moves her hand and puts his, her hand in his. And she experiences something she never experienced before. You should read the story because it's really good. The other example he gives uh, in this part of the book is the written responses of the saints in um, Charleston, South Carolina, after uh, a guy comes in and guns down their people, right? Comes into a church setting like this, just guns them down. And the written responses from those saints at that church in Charleston. And I'm not going to read them to you, but you should read them. You should just read their responses to him and um, to the world around them, basically, of what they believe about Jesus, what that means for them in terms of justice and forgiveness who are we in Adam? Who are we in Christ? Um, it is not to say or to simplify or to make light of things that should happen retributively through the government and through the criminal justice system. I'm not saying any of that should be lifted, removed. I'm not saying any of that. All I'm saying is those saints wrote some pretty powerful things based on who they are in Jesus and who they see him to be in Adam and what that means as identity over him coming in and saying, you are black, you are bad, I will shoot you. Right? So um, those are the three questions for this week. And uh, I'll read this one again. If your vision of justice replaces love, peace, and patience with suspicion, division, and rage, you've probably got some issues with your 
vision of justice. Those are the two exemplars. So uh, some quick reflection questions, and this is where we've got some time to kind of think. So question number one, uh, what can we as Christians do practically to live out our in-Christ identity with those from different tongues, tribes, and nations? What can we as Christians do practically in, uh, to live out our in-Christ identity with those from different tongues, tribes, and nations? Think on that one. Number two, are there any echo chambers in your life, and how can you venture beyond them? That's kind of a self-reflective one. Please think on that. Lastly, um, what are some ways to embody the fruits of the Spirit online with those who disagree with us? So I'm just going to leave those three up there and then let you guys either comment or you can answer one of those or you can uh, disagree with something I've said um, or you can add to what I've said. Love to get your thoughts. What are you thinking about uh, on this topic? And the awkward pause begins. So your, your particular view of how to engage online, uh, thankfully, is shared by others where um, if I'm going to connect with somebody in an online platform, I want it to be with somebody that I actually know so I can engage with them in other ways. Yeah, there's, a, there's a whole lot involved in communication besides just the words, right? Context, tone. Um, you can't pick up on my sarcasm, and I've, I'm so sorry about that because it's really good. My sarcasm is, I've got a finely honed skill in sarcasm that I wish other people got more. That's a, good, that's a great point. Um, questions up here or comments or additions to what we've been talking about, about this topic in general? Well, my favorite thing about what you said, lo love it, but... Um, there's got to be some, if you've received grace, then humility must be part of our engagement with other people because you didn't deserve any of that. You, you, you don't have anything to trade that was good. You didn't have anything. You were the Aztec. You were, the, uh, you were Cortez. You didn't have anything to trade, and God still shows you grace in Christ, and that should bring some humility. One of our core values, if you read through our core values on the website, is as grace recipients, we should be humble. We should be humble people. Thank you, Scott. Anybody else that want to address a question or just comment on the topic? Brian? What, we've, what you kind of want to try to do is have some avenues where you're in, engaging with people that do have different views from you so that you can uh, in, engage either in gospel ministry or you could learn yourself. There's all kinds of things that come from um, stretching out beyond your typical group. Anybody else? Thoughts? Comments? This is not an easy topic, but it's important. Anybody else? Thoughts? Answers to the questions? Oh, for sure. Um, so, you know, the, it used to be that the worldview for a lot of folks were, they understood that we had some gifts that we received from previous generations and cultures. The Judeo-Christian gifts that were now, um, they're, they're sort of being targeted and shot at on a regular basis. Um, you, you, don't, you don't receive some of the downhill um, benefit of that without all that history and foundational um, influence. You, so somebody was 
somebody was asking me at work about um, esophageal abortion. Sorry, I won't get on that, but they're asking about that. But they, we ended up with um, that Luther comment, that Luther statement of "Here I stand, here I stand." Church here, state there, here I stand. Individually, even though I'm part of this community, even though I'm part of this, but here I stand, and that um, that one moment sets into those dominoes start setting into um, effect what becomes a group of pilgrims that move from one place to another and establish um, freedoms that are unique. Uh, if you, you start looking around the world at where do you find freedom of religion? And by the way, you've got to be kind of okay with that the other direction too. It means I'm free to worship the one true God and my neighbor is free to worship a false God. There will be consequences for that. But they're free to worship because I live in this great country. They're free to worship that false. Now, I'm going to go and say you shouldn't worship that false god, but here's why. Um, here's why I think that um, you should consider what Jesus did. There is no other. But freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom, I mean, all those things are like foundation. And it came from one guy standing in front of the church and state saying, here I stand. I mean, literally, you can trace it back. As much as this new generation doesn't want to admit that, Trace all that back to there. Now, if you want to get rid of that, but still keep the benefit, it doesn't match up. It just doesn't work. It just doesn't work. <laughs> Anybody else? Final thoughts? Um, I, I would toss out there, um, you have more access to the dysfunction of our culture and the world. It's not as if that's new. Not as if, um, again, the Aztecs were sacrificing children in one temple and then eating humans on the other. Um, and, and that that was a long time ago. Um, there's, some, there's some chaos that has always been part of the fallen world. Not excusing it, just saying if you want real justice, you need to consider these 12 questions. We've done six. We have six more to go. Two, two sessions of three questions. Um, may God use it to align our hearts with his. Jim? <laughs> let's pray <laughs> let's pray shall we uh, Brian would you pray for us would you mind praying for us